lot more stuff than just that, let me tell you. That was kind of the last one. And then exiled to an island by himself for the word of the Lord, still was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Ain't nothing going to get me down. Right? He's probably, this is the day, this is, right? All right. Verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white as like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Listen, if you ever want to know what Jesus is like right now, right there it is. And he says, as I am now, so are you in this world. This is how he sees you. This is how we see him now. Not hanging on a cross, dead and suffering. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. We're going to talk more about that on Wednesday, the Lord willing. About the sharp, double-edged sword. His faith... Face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades, of death and hell. Who holds the keys? He does. Write therefore what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And most commentaries believe that the angels aren't angels, they're messengers. And actually when you do the research of that, it's actually the ministers, the pastors, the shepherds of the church, right to the shepherds, right to the pastors of the churches. Why? Because he was directing the behavior, he was directing the behavior of the church. And who's responsible for it? The pastor. The minister. But he holds them in his right hand. And you think about that. Where, where does Ephesians say we are seated? At the right hand of God. What does the right hand mean? It means loyalty. It's commitment. But more so than not, in the Bible, the right hand always means strength and power. What do we say in the corporate world? Who's the most powerful in, if you're looking at uh, the staff? My right hand. Right? 
my right-hand man. He's my right-hand man. She's my right-hand man, right? Strength, power. He holds them in his hands. And the lampstands are the church. Did you notice when John first saw him, he was walking among? His Bible, the word says that where two or three gather in his name, he is there walking among us. So let's look at this. What we're going to do is we're going to go verse by verse. I'm going to go just as fast as I can. I, I drank enough coffee. I, I've got enough energy in me. We're going to go as fast as we can. Verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Don't forget that these are his words. These are not John's words. These are the words of Jesus, and he is the head of the church, and actually says in the Bible that he is overall responsible for all of the church. He's the head of the church. Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds. Don't ever get tricked into thinking you can do something or not do something and you're going to get away with it. He knows your deeds. And it is by your deeds that you will be judged. Write these scriptures down. Don't forget. Oh, I'll give them to you later. Yeah, we'll go back to them. But in James chapter 2, don't also, don't get tricked into thinking that it's by deeds that you attain salvation. Because works alone, deeds alone cannot save you. James chapter 2 says that you can't have deeds without faith. You can't have faith without deeds. That both are just as useless as dead, one without the other. You have to have both, faith and deeds. No matter how good they are, no matter how strict they are. And, uh, you know, he gets to his point. That's his main point is to show them it's not just about what you do. It's what's on the inside. Uh, he goes on to say, I know your deeds. Uh, your hard work and your perseverance. Perseverance, don't forget, we did a big study on that a while ago, and I'll keep, you know, hammering this one because I love how James chapter 1 says that perseverance must finish, what? Her perfect work in you, so you'll be mature, complete, not lacking any good thing. Again, we all want that, right? Perseverance. Per, the, the prefix of that means through. The A-N-C-E, the suffix of that word, means the quality of the going through, the action. And then the subject matter being severe. So it's not enough that you just go through these severe times and pray that you make it through. But it's how you go through them that develops perseverance. So perseverance is an, isn't an automatic... I get the gold star because I made it through. Because if you was kicking, screaming, and rolling around, throwing a fit, <laughs> he's just going to be like dragging you like I told you that story about Isaiah through the store, just hurry up and get you through. We're going to hit this one again some other time when you're ready to go through it. What? 
like joy like joy and, and anticipation. He's got something good. He's got something too. I love it that Rachel made that little picture frame. My daughter-in-law made me that little picture frame that says if it's not good, it's not the end. If you're going through something and you're not experiencing the it's not good yet, it's not over yet. Because his word promises he will work all things out to the good of those who love him. So if you're experienced the it's not good yet, it's okay. And actually, when you're going through those times is the only place perseverance can be developed. So how you go through them will, will, um, is what you want. Not just going through them, it's how you go through them. So back it up. And I mean, sometimes I have to repent a hundred times going through the one thing. I'll start and it will, and I'll, and then I'll go, oh, that wasn't good. I just want to, I don't want to reset the whole test, Lord. Can I just back up a couple steps? Let's repent of that one. Let's take that one on again, you know, and let's head back into it again. Why? Because I don't want to keep going through these things. You know, I want the perseverance finished in me so no matter what comes my way, I'm joy-filled, I'm peaceful, I'm expecting and hopeful, I'm walking in all his, what? Goodness. Goodness of God leads to repentance because it does nobody else any good if I'm constantly, oh, here it comes again, here's another one. Your hard work and your perseverance. And yes, it will be hard work. Don't forget that. If, it's, if it doesn't cost you something, it's not worth anything. It's got to cost you something. It's got to be hard work. I mean, if, if it was easy to have big muscles and skinny and you know the six pack abs everybody would look like that but it's hard work so now let's think about this do I really want to do that because that's hard yes don't forget John 16 33 Jesus said take heart what what does that mean trust in your heart have peace in your mind take heart have peace Trust in your heart, have peace in your mind. When going through these severe times, why? Because he said, I've overcome them all. So cheer up. I like that. Suck it up, buttercup. I, that's Brenda translation. That's what he would say to me. That is how he talks to me. You know, he does it with a nice tone in his voice, but still I hear. Brian and I was just watching, what was that, uh, Kitchen Nightmares or something, right? And I stopped watching all those reality shows. I even like the America's Got Talent at times. But if they get into that, woe is me stories, oh, you know, the whole world. And I, it's like, you know, suck it up. Just tell me what you're doing there and, you know, just do what you got to do. You know, it does nobody any good when you whine about all the, you know, it sounds like a big country song all the time. Oh, my truck is broke down. My dog ran away from me. My wife left me. What am I going to do? 
what do you want to do? Really, that's what I want to ask all the time. What do you want to do? Do you want to just sit there and wallow in it? Okay, I got better things to do. You know, I'm going to keep going on. It's hard work. He goes on to say, I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. You cannot tolerate, which means that a lot of people, a lot of Christians, do tolerate. And in the context of what he's calling wicked men, it's those who claim that they have a word from the Lord, or they're sent by God, or they know the truth. And it, to tolerate them means we just let them spew out all this lies. Or what's more dangerous, we've learned that, than outright blatant lies, half-truths. Well, you know, if God wanted me to be healed, I'd be healed by now. You tolerate that. And you actually end up building up kind of like a, like a, what are those? Hello, my mind just kind of went sailing on the, sh the good ship lollipop. <laughs> when your, your immune system, like you develop, you know, this, yeah, tolerance for it. You've just heard it so many times. Remember, we went through that. You don't, is that even in the Bible? Or is that something my grandma used to say, you know? Is that true? You know, when you tolerate, when you allow your ears to just hear all this spewing out, and like I said, half-truths are worse. Because, you know, he will. He'll, he'll flood you with the truth to float that little lie. Well, that's true. If God wanted me to be healed, you know, he would have healed me by now. Well, he already did 2,000 years ago. You just didn't go pick it up. He said, but you don't tolerate. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and found them to be false. Don't forget that the word in the Greek, the word apostle, was first developed, was given to, by the Greeks as a title, a job title. And then it was adopted by the Romans even. And so for us, like I've told you before, um, for us, it, it's like a, a CEO or a CFO, uh, president, vice president. We know those terms, secretary, you know. So when we say that title, you already know it's very descriptive on what they do. Same thing with apostles, you know. It was not, it didn't originate in the church. It originated actually in the culture at that time. And Greeks and then Romans adopted because at that time the Romans were overtaking all these other countries, cities and stuff, but they weren't redeveloping their culture to be like Rome. So they heard the Greeks doing this, so then they adopted it, where they would send out, once they overtook a city, or a kingdom, whatever, they would send apostles to reproduce, sent ones, to go to that place and reproduce the kingdom that they came from. So where they were sent, they wanted that new city to be just like Rome. And so when Jesus started calling his disciples apostles, it meant the sent ones 
to reproduce the kingdom wherever they go. They go with the understanding they're sent by God. So he's saying, I know that you have, how did he word that there? That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and found them false. So in context, these apostles were claiming to be sent from God, either to that church or to an individual. You ever have somebody come to you and say, I have a word from God for you. just open wide up and receive it in like God spoke it until you test it. Line it up. If it don't line up with the word, toss it out. You know, we've had, even since I've been here, people that have come into my office and have, you know, stated they are sent from God to help this church do X, Y, Z. I'm like... Well, if, it, if you are, I'm here. I'm ready. Amen. That's good. Let's test it. I don't mean I'm not cynical. I mean, ask the board. Ask the staff. We're not cynical about it. We're just going to, eyes open. Let's see. And two things I learned real fast. That, okay, maybe I'll just say one. I'll just say one. Two, we could get off on a long time. One thing, real fast. If it tries to go too fast, and its complaint or their complaint is that we're not doing things fast enough and we need to hurry up and we got to do this, it's not God. Because even in my 51 years of life, this is an absolute, I, this is my number one test. If you're feeling rushed, you got to hurry up, you got to make a decision, it's not God. Because he's all peace. And what does hurry up, hurry up, hurry up tell you? Anxiety, worry, turmoil. Oh my goodness, I have to make a decision. Oh, oh, oh. It's not God. And these that have come in, their number one complaint is always, we, you know, you just need to release us in ministry and we need to hurry up. And I'm like, there's procedures set in place for a reason. Nobody skips them. I don't care what title you come with, what experience you have. I don't care you place whatever apostle, prophet, whatever you want on you. You're going to go through the same process. Not because, well, she just wants to be in charge. Trust me, I've heard that a thousand times. I'm like, whatever. No, it's because we are called to test those who claim to be sent from God. Test it. And if they, listen, the ones that are real are the ones that don't come with an agenda. Oh, I told you I wasn't going to, sorry, I'm going to back up. <sighs> Reel that one in. I'm not going to go there. Not for today, burden. Not today, burden. Um, but they tested him. He says, I know that you tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them to be false. So please, line it up. Test it. Line it up with the word. 
If it's the word, it's the word, and it's true, and then you can, when somebody speaks a word, I've done this before at the altars and other places where I'm praying for somebody, and I'm getting a word for them. Of course, I'm right away, oh God, please let this be you, you know? Don't let it be me. If it's me, don't let them remember anything. Actually, go ahead and plug their ears right now, you know, but if it's you, mm. And when it is God, and I have had hits and misses, and I apologize, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm trying to be obedient, I don't want to hold up God and be a hindrance to what God might be saying. Um, I asked them, what did that, did that bear witness with anything inside? Did it feel, you know, is it something you've been going? And it's almost 99.999% of the time, it's just a confirmation. Just like that word for Tara today, it's a confirmation. That it's not a, oh, never heard that before. I'm going to be a, never heard that. Be when you get those, bring them back to God. Okay, anyway, going on. Verse 3, I told you. <gasps> We're going to go through this real fast. Enduring hardships for my name. Listen, verse 3, uh, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Listen, you need to know the history of the Ephesus church real quick to understand how important this statement is. The church of Ephesus was a city on the western coast of Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. It was near the mouth of this river, this Caister River. The city was famous for its temple, Artemis, which is also the Greek goddess um, Diana. And it, people would come, pilgrims would come from all over into Ephesus to worship this goddess. All over. The Ephesian church was a hard-working group of believers full of fortitude. They stood for truth. And they would not bend. Also to their credit, they were these, yeah, these gatekeepers of truth. They did not compromise with evil doers and they showed patient endurance and bearing up listen they had government affliction hey you're holding up don't tell people they can't come here to worship this goddess we want their money right so they had governmental hardship and they had persecution from you know the, the Greeks and don't tell us our religion is wrong and you know they have to be able to do this the unending attack so when he said you're enduring hardships for my name meant a whole lot but see in the church today we don't even endure that way we, we, we don't like to admit it but um, we bear our own name more than we bear his name and we endure hardships only as long as it don't hurt my name. Because that's where I'm going to stop. And that's why people will quit ministries. They'll get discouraged. They'll get tired. I'm all done. I just need to back out of ministry. I need to take a break. I mean, they're all screaming, you were in it for you then. Because if you're doing it for him, if you're enduring these hardships, if you're doing ministry for him, would you stop if it got hard? No, you wouldn't. Because it's for him. Which is how we're supposed to be doing everything, right? But see, we get involved in a ministry as long as you're being nice to me. As long as you don't hurt me, 
hurt my feelings, say something I don't like, they all scream, you were just in it for yourself. And aren't we glad that Jesus didn't stop his ministry when people started hurting his feelings? repeat it again so the people on um, podcasts and stuff can hear it. it. She made an absolute great point that yeah, to not even get involved in ministry, well, I'm not good enough, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, and again, there it is. It's all about then your name. Are you good enough? You know, I gotta have all my poop in a group, <laughs> my ducks in a row, before why? Well, then it's all about you. And I will promise you, you will topple the first time somebody comes and rubs you the wrong way, ruffles your feather, doesn't say the right words, doesn't put you on the schedule enough, or, or doesn't blah, 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 you know? Anyway, enduring for his name. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. So here's your scriptures I told you I'd give you later. Don't forget that we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will have to give an account for what we've done and what we have not done. What we've done and what we have not done. Of course, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Romans 2, 6. We will all, all have to give an account. Key point, here it is for today, your key point. <laughs> Still eating your chocolates, right? Okay. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. We are called to this holy union with Jesus. It was his love, God's love. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son, whosoever believes in him, receives him as their own. They're saying the divine yes to him as if he's down on one knee and holding up the ring and saying, will you have me as I want you? He says, you've forgotten that. You've forsaken that. That covenant relationship is to remain pure, vibrant, unending. Ask yourself, am I still as committed to him today, as in love with him today, as I was the first day I said yes? It goes on in verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Paul warned the church in Galatians 3, are you so foolish? He said, are you so foolish that what you started in the spirit, you're now trying to finish in the flesh? I like it. Some translation says, who bewitched you? <laughs> yeah, who, who could get you to think that way? And see, that's what happens, and that's what's happening to Ephesus. You know, they started out good. They started out with the divine yes and the falling in love and that the honeymoon phase ended in the covenant relationship. And nowhere does God say that's ever supposed to end. It's supposed to be an ongoing growing. Actually, Jesus prayed in the garden, remember? 
that we wouldn't just um, experience him and be near him, but that we would be so in him, him in us, just as he's in the Father, the Father's in him, the Holy Spirit, the union of two becoming one flesh. That that's how he wants us, and that means ever-increasing intimacy. It doesn't plateau. It doesn't... Uh, it continues to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what happens as he's calling the Ephesus church back to it. You've fallen so far. And what was it? It was love. Because if love is not our guide, if it's not our lens by which we see everything, we become judgmental. Um, we're all about the rules, the regulations, the do's, the don'ts, the look at him, look at her, what are they, and they should, and we should, and you know, that's why, and we, boy, we know the problem, 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 problem. Why? Because we've taken the lens of love off. And now, just like the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were doing all the right things. But he called them whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they were trying to do, and they didn't have the love inside. He says, repent. And do the things you did at church at first. Wait a minute. So he's telling them to do. I thought the do got them in the, this, in the first place. But see, it's in the order of it. Change the way you think. It's not about doing to get. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. And I've really got to wrap this up. Um, I'll throw that out and, and I'll back up real fast. Um, no, I'm not even going to throw it out because it's going to come out wrong and you're all going to go, oh, okay. Um, you, don't, you don't buy love. You, you know what that's called, right? Okay, I'll leave it there. But that's what it is. When you try to, like the religious leaders, do, 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 why? What are they trying to do? They're trying to buy love. They're trying to buy acceptance. They're trying to buy who they are called to be. And that's called prostitution. Okay, that's not good. But out of love, now when I'm giving to not get love, but because I'm loved, now that's good. God is the giver of all good gifts. He loves, he's, that's one of his love languages, is gifts. He loves gifts, but if you're just trying to do to get, you're just trying to buy love, and well, that's not right. Okay, keep going. Repent. Change the way you think. Don't fall prey to this cold, mechanical observance of religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Don't forget that. Don't forget And he said, you have this in your favor. Are you guys still okay? I'm sorry, this is going to be a longer one. Um, but if we were watching the time, I'm sure I'm not that long. You guys just took too long to get here. Anyway. <laughs> he says, you have this in your favor. 
I gave you chocolate, so you're good. Okay. He says, I, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. He said, which I also hate. Um, You've got to understand, the Nicolaitans in that day, in history, the Nicolaitans appear to be the religious sect that would prey on Christians to woo them away from loyalty to God. Solomon was warned of these women, yet he did not heed God's warning, and he married them anyway, and it was these women that led his heart away from God. The end of his life. Sad. That's why God said over and over again, you'd see, he said, wipe them all out. When you come to this city, wipe them all out. Why? Because they're gonna, they're women are going to lure you, or they're men. Come on, women, we're just as responsible. We can be wooed into wooing our hearts away from God. It was these women, uh, these Nicolaitans were deep into Greek worship and Balaam practices along with the pagan Roman culture, they were known for living unrestrained lives of indulgence. If it feels good, do it. Probably won't feel good in the morning, but then just do it again. Requirements included sacrificing to their gods through this these hideous immoral acts of drunken revelry and actually drug-induced at times immoral acts with these uh, temple prostitutes right out in the open. It was, it was hideous. But see, it didn't, I mean, when they first walked by, they're like, I'm never doing that stuff. No, it was, it was subtle. Just a little sip. That don't hurt anybody. They're not, I, you know, blatant lie. You know, they're not going to throw that. They, they were wooers. Nicolaitans were wooers. Which means they'll come to your house and hang out. Oh, just a little sip. It's okay. It won't do nothing. You know, just watch this a little bit. It's okay. Oh, your boyfriend and girlfriend. It's okay. It's just a little bit. See, those same Nicolaitan practices are today. Are are you know, blatant today in the church that is just not okay. The ideologies, ideologies still persist today. Many people in the church attempt to marry the cultures of this world with the holy union that we're supposed to have with Christ. And God calls it adultery. You can't be married to me and go sleep with the world. It's adultery and it's wrong and it will be judged and don't come back into, and that's what he was saying, I love it that you hate these practices. So they would actually be watch, keep gatekeepers in the church in Ephesus and say that will take away their heart from loyalty to God. Go away. That will drag you away and cause your heart. Okay? So it's that practice. In John, 1 John 5, 21, it says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. So here it is, the last verse. Here, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus repeats this statement over and over again in his earthly ministry. Remember, I mean, all throughout the Gospels, you hear him say, Hey, if you got an ear, you should hear. Well, Brenda translation is, uh, you remember who made that ear? 
don't turn a deaf ear to him. He made that. Why? So you can hear him. He who has an ear. Hear, understand, and respond accordingly is what is reflected in the closing of each one of these messages to the seven churches. Hear, understand, and respond accordingly. And then he goes into him who overcomes. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This first one, because he gives a promise to every one of the churches, if they overcome, you're going to get this. If you overcome, you're going to get this. This is the ultimate one right here. And when you line it up in the context, and I wish I had an, at least another hour to explain this to you, this church was standing for truth. Truth defenders, gatekeepers, right in the midst of the hub of hell. Where they were at in Ephesus. All around them. People banging on their door, you know, protesting, probably picketers. You know, go away, close their doors, you know, right? And they stood true and they would hold on to truth. But in doing so, they took off their lens of love somewhere along the way. And now they were looking as in judgment and harsh and problems and, and if those people would just go away, we would be able to rest, and right? But it was this church. So getting this right, don't lose that first love. And if you have, if you realize, man, that's me. I, I tend to, I can point out the problem better than I can see the solution. Or I see, I tend to see, and you don't like to admit it, but I tend to see the bad in people more than I do the good. You've lost the lens of love. But it was the ultimate. He was giving them, come on, get this one right, and you're going to get the ultimate reward. Overcome here in its context is don't lose it when you got it, your first love. But if you notice, uh-oh, I have them do's and don'ts and do and don't and point and uh, that you repent. Change the way you're thinking. Get back again to that first love and start doing the things you used to do at first. Well, what kind of things did you used to do when you first met your spouse? Come on, apply them to God. It's relationship. He does everything in this my sci-fi freak friends will understand this parallel universe, you know, where it is actually mirrored. He shows you a mirror image of what the reality that you can't see kingdom that is more real than the one you see is actually all about. He shows us in our earthly relationships exactly what we need to do in our spiritual relationship with him. So how do I go back to the things I used to do at first? What things did you... <gasps> oh, Brian. You know, Brian, are you thinking about me? I was thinking about you. <laughs> Oh, no, you hang up. I'll hang up. No, you hang up. Oh, how long have we been talking? 12 hours? No, I was never like that. Writing these long letters, right? 
long letters. And oh, I just was thinking of you and I walked by this, you know, field of flowers and I picked all these for you. Come on. What kind of things? Well, how can I give God flowers? Sit with them a minute or two or five. And just let them, just, I have a cup of coffee with them every day. And he likes coffee. I don't know about you, but my mansion in heaven is going to have its own cafe. All the espresso I want with no bad effects. I love it. Here it is. Squanderer, overcomer. Squanderer or overcomer. Because every one of these he ends the church with, to him who overcomes. We're either a squanderer or an overcomer. Squanderer will see the problem. Overcomer sees a solution. A squanderer only looks at what they don't have. An overcomer will see what they have and make it work. A squanderer dismisses themselves as weak and they'll look for a strong one to rescue them or come out, oh yeah, Crystal, you can do this, right? An overcomer will realize they're weak, but they're going to train to become the strong one. It says to him who overcomes. When David was running from Saul, it wasn't the mighty men that we end up reading about that came to him. It was the weak and the outcast that came to him. And he trained them to become mighty men. And let me assure you, to become an overcomer, it's going to be hard. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. It's not easy. It's not fun to realize I have to go through these classes again. <laughs> Why do I have to keep, haven't I reached the age where I just know it all, you know? <laughs> Training is not convenient. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. But to become an overcomer, to become the mighty men of God, it's training. And there is either, listen, overcomers do what's important. They don't just do and, oh, oh, one of these days I'll get around to it. Overcomers do what's important. They know what's important and they just do it. And overcomers prioritize what's important. Because if you don't prioritize, it's not important to you. And you're lying to yourself. You prioritize what's important to you. So when you start backing up and saying, well, I don't really have the time, well, let's look at your time. What, what is taking your time? Because that's what's important to you. Overcomers do what's important and they prioritize what's important. And that's how you become an overcomer that is constantly fresh and alive in that first love with the Lord. So would you stand? I want to ask you two questions. And again, don't look at your watches. Don't look at the clock. This is an important time. This is not a dismissing time. This is now the applying time. 
You've had ears that were open, hearts that were receiving, and now we're going to start applying it. Do you find your relationship with God? Zach, I think I gave you some music. You could start playing back there. As we open the altars, do you find yourself, your relationship with God is more um, performance-based? Where you actually set in your own mind or felt in your own heart that I'm away from God because I did this or this or uh, I'm closer to God if I do this or this. based and you're trying to buy love change the way repent change the way you think it's got to start in here first it's got to start inside first that first love think about it your earthly relationship when you knew that you knew that you knew that that one was the one it didn't come in a tangible way did it did you exchange something that you signed an agreement with and then you knew you fell in love with the person? No, in here. So if you found yourself in this performance-based relationship, today's your day. It's time to repent and return to your first love. And that's loving God. That's all about God first. Remember, he summed up the entire law by saying it's loving God, loving others. Right? Loving God and loving others as yourself. That's number one, loving God. That you get that relationship right with him. That it's not based on my performance. It's all based on what he did. I just receive. I say yes. The second question is, do you find yourself focusing on what's wrong? If you're focusing on what's wrong more than you're hoping for what's right, you've lost the lens of love, that loving others. And that one's easy. You might think, oh, it's going to be so hard. No, it's, it's actually quite easy. divine yes with God, the loving God as number one in your heart pushing everything else aside it's his love that's loving others through you and now when you look at others, you're not looking at others with your eyes, you're looking at others through his eyes and now love never fails love is patient, it endures it hopes the best, it can trust This is your time. We're going to spend just a few minutes, few minutes. We're going to not just pray for people. We believe we want to see miracles right away. We, we have been um, standing in faith that answers are coming faster and faster the end, as the end times. 
seems to progress, answers are coming quicker. So we don't just pray for you and walk away from you. We want to stay with you and see the answer right away. Or feel the peace that you have the answer. Okay? So I've asked the staff to come up. So would you come up? If you, We want to pray with you. 